0: Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, December 13th, 2022 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest – old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is New York city based jazz trombonist, educator and composer, Alton Sinclair. Hailed by stereophile magazine, for sounding like 21st century grandchildren of J.J. J. Johnson and K. Winding, with his co-bandleader, Chris Glassman, and praised by the International Trombone Association's journal for his virtuosity and melodic and harmonic mastery, Alton Sinclair is in high demand across the country as a performer, educator, and composer. Alton began his studies at Texas State University, where he studied with Freddie Mendoza. While attending Texas State University, he gained entrance into the thriving Austin music scene and began emerging as a new talent. Alton moved to Austin, Texas, and attended the University of Texas at Austin's Butler School of Music, where he studied under the tutelage of Andre Hayward. He became a fixture in the Austin music scene after being named a 2017 Top 10 Austin Music Awards horn player and recording his debut album, Introducing Alton Sinclair. After completing his bachelor's degree from the Butler School of Music, He was given the opportunity to travel as a soloist with the University of Texas Jazz Orchestra to the Montreux Jazz Festival, North Sea Jazz Festival, and Luxembourg Gardens in Paris, France. Alton then attended Michigan State University as the graduate assistant to Michael Dees and Rodney Whitaker, where he pursued his Master of Music degree in Jazz Studies. While at Michigan State University, Alton co-founded the Sinclair Glassman Quintet, which has been the recipient of over $3,000 in funding from the East Lansing Arts Commission and Michigan State University Running Start. This grant gave the quintet members the opportunity to tour East Lansing Elementary Schools and use their knowledge of jazz to educate the young students and provide them with a new potential artistic and creative outlet. A Yamaha Young Performing Artist, Alton, has gained international and national recognition through numerous competitions and awards. Such honors have come from the American Trombone Workshop Jazz Competition Solo Divisions, International Trombone Association's Jazz Solo, Carl Fontana Competition, and J.J. Johnson Competition, the Kai Winding Trombone Ensemble Competition, Texas State Trombone Symposium Michael Rath Jazz Solo Competition, Downbeat Student Music Awards, and the International Tuba Euphonium Association, Rich Madison Jazz Euphonium Competition, among others. As an active performer, Alton has shared the stage, toured and or recorded with Dee Dee Bridgewater, Rodney Whitaker, Christian McBride, Michael Buble, Daphnis Prieto, Ulysses Owens Jr., The Temptations, the Four Tops, Martha Reeves, The Valvolettes, Diego Rivera, Michael Dees, and many others. Alton holds a Bachelor of Music Degree in Music Performance from the University of Texas at Austin and a Master of Music Degree in Music Performance in Jazz Studies from Michigan State University. He has held teaching positions at Michigan State University Brevard Jazz Institute, the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts Summer Jazz Intensive, Jazz and Creative Institute, Central Texas College, and the University of Mary Hardin Baylor. He is a performing artist for Erasers Earplugs, In Ears, AEA Ribbon Microphones, and Robinson's Remedies. Alton is currently based in New York City with his wife, Marina, and dogs, Navy and J.J. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Alton Sinclair.
1: Hello, Alton. Hey, how's it going there, Craig?
0: Well, it's going great. It's uh, super to uh, have you on my show today, and uh, I've really been looking forward to uh, uh, the opportunity to uh, have you as a guest and uh, after reading your bio and finding uh, a lot of interesting names pop up in your bio that I was familiar. Uh, you know, you I when I was in undergrad school, I did play uh, with Kai Winding as a yeah. guest soloist. Yeah, I was a guest soloist with our university jazz ensemble probably when I was uh junior maybe a senior probably uh mid to late 70s somewhere in there and he oh that's amazing uh, yeah oh and he was of course an amazing player and i you know grew to appreciate him a lot more since then uh because we all learn more and learn better you know context and so forth but then i also noticed that you had have won a rich madison award And named after uh, Rich Madison, who was one of the, he was a committee Mm -hmm. member on my master's degree. Oh, wow. And I had a lot of classes with him. And of course, had the pleasure of hearing him and playing with him Mm -hmm. numerous times when I was a a grad student at North Texas. And uh, then the third thing, of course, is I remember when Texas State University was formerly Southwest Texas State, having Very fond memories of San Marcos and Mm. uh, always stopped frequently there. There was a restaurant, I don't even know if it's still there, called The Falls. It was right on the river. Probably. (laughs) It it was beautiful and uh, would always stop there in between San Antonio or Austin and where I lived, either when I was in Denton or Fort Worth. But anyways, Mm. my big observation I want you to talk about is that you and Chris Glassman, have a quintet not dissimilar to the ones that uh kai Wending and jj johnson had and uh and i'm guessing that their playing has served somewhat as a model for yours Mm -hmm. and chris's Uh, certainly from what i've heard on your recordings and and your youtube videos you guys play some awesome bebop Mm. and uh, so would you talk a little bit about the legacy of those two giants and how you might see yourself carrying that legacy forward.
1: Yeah. uh, Thanks so much for the kind words. We, I know Chris and I really appreciate that. And uh, you know, not, not to, uh, not to take a, a, a opposing view, but we actually started that quintet (laughs) for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, The first one was, so we were both in our master's degree at a Michigan state university mm-hmm. and we were basically trying to hustle for like the very few quartet gigs that there were in East Lansing. And, you know, you would think that Detroit is very uh, close, but, you know, driving to Detroit is a solid hour, 15 minutes, along with a full-time uh, teaching assistantship and being a student and practicing. It's really not as practical as we thought it would be to uh, run down to Detroit on, on a Tuesday night. <laughs> sure. Um However, you know, because of the—I don't want to say the lack of gigs, but maybe not—but maybe the uh, maybe not having enough gigs in in Lansing, we we just decided it was like, okay, it's time to like stop competing for these trombone quartet gigs. We should just make a, you know, we should just do something like J and K, and and it almost seems typical for two trombone players to do that. But see, the thing was, we really weren't aiming to sound like them at first. Not not to say that we didn't want to. It was just we, of course, use that inspiration, and we also used some other inspiration from, um, like Mike Davis and Bill Reichenbach, Jim Pugh and Dave Taylor, you know, all those greats. Um, but something that we actually wanted to do was, which is what J and K did, was bring a positive light to the trombone. Um, I think a lot of times the trombone is more thought of as like a section instrument, you know, like you think of a quintet, what's your immediate thought? Well, probably a saxophone and a trumpet, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, you think of a sextet and it's like, oh, now we can add trombone. And so I think for us, it was more about like, no, we need to bring light to the trombone again. Uh, not single-handedly, of course. There's tons of other people bringing amazing light to the trombone in this day and age, as well as previous eras. But for us, we were, we were more about bringing um, that same positive light that people knew of with J&K And it's funny, every time, you know, people approach us who are not trombonists, they always reference J and K. And it's like, well, we want to bring that same kind of um, uh, positive light to the trombone and -hmm. particularly the bass trombone and tenor trombone configuration. It's Mm. not, it's, it's very, it's very different. Um, You know, bass trombone, tenor trombone, like duets, like makes total sense right mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. even two of the same instruments two bass trombones two tenor trombones but having a bass trombone and tenor trombone is like the lead instrument on a in a combo it, i i feel like it really wasn't being done um and so luckily chris as i'm sure you've heard is a complete monster on the bass yeah. trombone yeah and you know dare i say one of the leading uh i i, I use this word he's chris is very modest but Chris is, in my opinion, an expert at playing bass trombone, is particularly as a as a soloist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the few who are like really playing the music with authenticity, intention, and consistency. And so, I I see that as an inspiration. So I was like, oh man, yeah, we got to do this. And so we it wasn't it wasn't as much as carrying on the legacy. However, we didn't we did after all start doing that. It was it was more about bringing that same positive light to the trombone as a mm-hmm. as a soloist, as a mm-hmm. melodic instrument, as a front person in a combo. And, and that's what we really wanted to do. And luckily that involved playing some J and K, you know, our very first gig, I remember our set list uh, because we actually got written up in the Lansing journal about it. They were doing a big feature on like that particular uh, jazz night at a, it was a jazz Tuesdays at Moriarty's pub in Lansing and the Lansing journal mm-hmm. did a story on it. And our, Our opener was It's All Right With Me, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Classic. Chris did the arrangement or did the transcription rather. Um, And then we also did what is this thing called Love. We did Blue Monk. And then we did some of our own originals. And that later came into fruition uh, because we started headlining festivals after that. We, uh, We headlined at Lansing Jazz Festival. Uh, the big one we did was Detroit Jazz Festival. We had our we had our spot and we featured Rodney Whitaker, Zach Adelman, and then our uh, guitarist mm-hmm. Nathan Borton. Yeah, it was amazing. And then uh, we were winners of the uh, Mid Atlantic Jazz Festivals. Um, I guess like New Act of the Year, if you mm-hmm. for 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 a lack of better words. And then <clears throat> we were also um, featured artists with the Tuba Bach Festival, and we started booking. Um, gigs and whatnot and 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 at that point i was i was like man we're we're kind of like bringing that attention to the trombone that Mm -hmm. that is that's needed i say that with a total bias but that's that's basically what i what i see is like carrying the torch is is or helping carry that torch it's not a single-handed thing you know and the music it's it's a it's a community not not a not a Mm -hmm. exclusivity especially in this music
0: Well, you know, I think it's 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 great that you, in a sense, are bringing something new to uh, what uh, uh, J and K started, because, to the best of my knowledge,
1: neither of them played bass trombone. Uh, Probably not, unless Kai Kai might have played some bass trombone parts on uh, on um on the Plus Six. uh, No, no, on uh, Kind of Blue. Oh, really? Might have okay. played some parts, um, okay. I know he because he's on that record, although the tuba player, I think Howard Johnson is the tuba player on that, okay. Uh, because there's there's like some low parts on there, so he might have, but Jay, from what I understand, Jay did not,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was my understanding that they're the you know, and the, and the what like JJ Johnson, his whole uh claim to fame, one might say, was he was really one of the early trombone players to. Be able to play bebop like Charlie uh-huh. Parker on the trombone, you know, and and, uh-huh. and 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 you know, and you think about it. This, of course, isn't a, a diss to any instrument, but you know, in terms of from a from a mechanical standpoint, getting around on the trombone is more challenging or can be more challenging, for just from a physical standpoint, than it can be on the saxophone. Absolutely. I, I mean, I say that to my sax playing friends all the time. I say, hey. I only get to use three fingers you get (laughs) and, and all of that, you know, well take that one step further, you know, with moving a slide and there's all, you know, incredible technique. And, uh, and I'm all for, uh, you know, all instruments kind of getting, getting, you know, center stage because I think great Mm -hmm. jazz can be played on any instrument. I mean, certainly we've heard it in the hands of, you know, like toots and, play jazz on harmonica or yeah absolutely or, or you know you, we could go on and name several people so i think that's really great that you you kind of took um uh kind of the uh the 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 old bottle if you were but you put some new wine in it you, you see <laughs> yeah. what i mean by yeah by, by doing that uh, uh tenor and bass trombone uh uh combination and uh and I, I think it's a very satisfying, you know, sound. Well, you know, kind of as a uh, an ancillary question, um, you do have on your website for the uh St. Clair Glassman Quintet, you have a video of a six trombone ensemble with you and Chris playing all six parts. Mm-hmm. Do you ever envision carrying the Kai and JJ legacy even further with a trombone group, such as the one that recorded J and Kai plus six?
1: So I... I was reading uh, last night into into the document because I wanted to you know study up on the questions. Yeah, and I, I actually have uh, I I have an answer for this. Okay, uh, as opposed to just a yes or no. So we actually already have a reporting, and uh-huh. I we yeah, and it's funny. It was the group that won the Kai Winding. Uh, we were we won the Kai Winding Jazz Ensemble competition for. International Trombone Association back in 2019, Mm. and and there's five of us, not six, but five of us, and I I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that was probably one of the best concerts all of us have ever played. Um, We actually, this is not a diss, but we were the opening act for the Big Jazz Night, and there was a lot of people that said it should have been reversed. Yeah. Cool. Um once again, no disrespect. I'm just I'm just throwing out what I was told. Well, we'll uh, just leave the
0: other we'll just leave the other artist nameless.
1: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Um but that night we played a series of different uh here's I remember the set list. Uh we well first let me name all the trombonists on it. It's it's actually some of my favorite young trombonists or Slash My Generation Trombonist out today, and one of them, along with Chris, is also in the Michael Blueblade band that that Chris and I are in. Uh, his name's Caleb McMahon, and he's on mm-hmm. that recording, as well as being a part of that winning group. And Caleb is—he's very modest as well, but he's—he's he's one of the most tasteful, nuanced players out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he'll—he'll he'll smile and grin about it. But he really is, and and I and I admire, I admire and 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 get inspired by listening to him. He's actually probably like a couple rooms over. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. um, But Caleb's on that, Uh, and then there's another trombonist who's working on his masters by the name of Dan Parrish. He's out at a University of Central Florida, and he has so much virtuosity on the horn. Uh, He just (laughs) the way he plays, he has so much intention. Um, I guess vigor would be uh, uh, the word vi, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and along with along with just having that love of bop in his playing, mm-hmm. and then there's another one by the name of Alex Laryanoff, who's Miami based, and just once again another really tasteful, amazing trombone player who will mm-hmm. sneak up on you. You know, like like you're like, oh, this guy, yeah, he sounds really good. Whoa, 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 hey, hey, <laughs> yeah, uh, he yeah. Was, he was, sounds so great but uh and then it was chris and i and us five actually have a recording out well it's not out but it was recorded live and it was actually mixed to mastered and we played uh a shade of jade we did a say when arrangement uh that jj big band tune uh we also did um uh there's it's a ballad but it was written. It was arranged by a great New York City trombonist by the name of Eric Miller. Uh, we did a calypso. Uh, we also did. Uh, oh, it was "Darn That Dream." That was the ballad that we did. Okay. Um, and we did a couple more selections, but that night it was like, it was like five trombones, and it was it was amazing. And uh, so there is a recording out there. Okay. It's like a. It's in a Google Drive. I'll have to send it to you, but it's not published.
0: I I would love to hear it because I love trombone bands. I have to tell you that straight up. Even when I was like in high school, I have the Irby Green 21 21. trombone on reel-to-reel tape wow that's the way i bought it when i got it that's how long ago and i used to dig that a lot and then uh i always like the jay and kai plus six recording mm-hmm. i don't know how many times you know listen to that and uh and i had the pleasure it's been over a year ago well over a year ago i interviewed jennifer wharton oh jen oh and, and, i loved you uh, and her do and her group she had just come out with her the album uh, Bonegasm. And, and what an awesome sound and uh so i've always liked that and then when i was at when i was at north texas there's some guys that had a trombone band they called them the bones brothers because this oh, was not long after the blues brothers came you move i before. know
1: that group okay ken george yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Ken and I played in Austin together for a Oh, little, wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. quite some time. I love Ken.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just great. But I've always loved those. And trombone groups, I think, are awesome because with by the time you have, say, four tenor trombones and two bass trombones, you really have a nice range that mm-hmm. you can't cover with a trumpet ensemble because the trumpet will only, you know, go as low as it does but uh right but trombones you know of course if you got great chops you know if you're like a bill watress <laughs> you uh. then you've got chops that could go up as high as the lead trumpet player so you've got that super uh range of sound plus that nice rich uh quality you know another album i just love and i just happened to come to mind was the uh, four freshman album they did with the the kenton trombone section. Uh huh. From, from five about 57, 58, somewhere in there, I think. Just a you know, mm-hmm. just a, a trombone section. That was the the only band per se, but a great sound and a great complement to the human
1: voices. So I love those well, kinds of things. It's funny you you use the words human voice because that was my next point. The reason why trombone I think is very accessible to the human ear, especially not a musician or a musician it's because the trombone is one of the closest instruments to the human voices, timbre and range. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think trombone ensemble. that's why it works really well with the four freshmen as well. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But, but especially like, you know, listening to the trombone, like I think you feel more power, not because it's a bigger bore or, or whatever, but it's because like you really see the spectrum of like sound and, or you really hear the spectrum and feel the spectrum of sound because yeah. of the different ranges
0: well, I agree with you. And it's like, you know, I have a friend of mine here in Wisconsin who every summer they put together a trombone choir to do the old Moravian trombone uh, oh, choir cool. pieces, you know, and there is, there's such a wonderful, rich legacy there. We don't have, well, we kind of have something similar in the trumpet world, but you know, when we put uh, like uh, a lot of natural trumpets together and play fanfares and, mm-hmm. and things like that that you know we've kind of done but but you're right we don't seem to have that same uh register that is uh in that wheelhouse of the human voice and it provides that lyricism Mm -hmm. and uh so instead we just have to impress people by playing louder higher and faster Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) that's the holy trinity of trumpet playing you know of course Uh, louder higher faster well anyway that's great Well, I'll, I'm 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 really curious. I ask this of every musician I interview: Who turned the light on for you?
1: What turned you on to music? Mm. So, I uh I come I don't really come from like a directly musical family, but I do come from a musically influenced family rather. So, my mom she was like in choir, and I think most of my uncles and aunts did band. But my my aunt, um she was at, she just retired, but she was a band director for 28 years. Oh. And her husband, and her husband is still teaching. He's also a band director. They're both in Texas. And so there's stories about, or there's pictures really, uh, of me just like going to like the band hall that they were in and picking up a baritone. Cause that was my first instrument was baritone mm-hmm. or euphonium rather. And uh, you know, from there, I just, it just kind of stayed a part of my life. I mean, you know, we would always listen to music or, but it, it didn't really become real until I started playing cello, which I was horrible at. <laughs> um, but then sixth grade band came along and I actually started listening, listening to Maynard. And uh, I was trying to play along. Uh, I couldn't really do that till, well, I probably still can't do that, but but I, I was really trying to play along with Maynard a lot. And and that's really just like what. But mm-hmm. the other side of it, on my on my dad's side, uh, my grandfather is actually a, a pretty well known Turkish musician. Uh, okay. So I'm I'm part Mexican and part Turkish, and uh, mm-hmm. my, my uh, so my mom's side is Mexican and my dad's side is Turkish. And my grandfather has, I guess, the Grammy equivalent uh, in Europe has, or has a Grammy equivalent in Europe. He uh, he's a, a kanun player, which is like a sit harp if uh, you're familiar with that texture. And so he, um, he, and he's been a musician all his life. He still is, um, owned a record label. You can find them. You you can find like the record label still online. If you type in my last name, if you just type in Sinclair record label, you'll see like a, it's like a blue white, uh, um, 72. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so he, he did that all his life. My dad was a DJ for a better part of 25 years. Um, and then it, and then actually my name as well, like Sinclair in Amer- in America, we say Sinclair, but in Turkey, it's actually Sinclair. And uh, it, it loosely, loosely translates to entertainer. Oh, so so, it's,
0: it, so you were born to be an entertainer.
1: Kinda, I guess yeah. so. My mom said, I always liked uh, getting attention whenever I was young. So um, I still kind of do, of course, but you know, yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> No, it's, it's interesting to hear your origin
0: story. I mean, it's like uh, in our family, we had an electric organ. of well, was Baldwin electric organs. Mm. Right? And I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old and I'd get up and I'd start kind of fooling around with it. One day, my mother said, if you're going to play it, you're going to learn how to play it. Right. And she got yeah, me taking yeah, yeah. lessons. Nice. And, and then it was, I was about nine then. And then when I was probably about 11, uh, the junior high band came to our school and played a concert. And I thought, hmm. wow, that was cool. And so I decided to get into band and then the rest is history. And uh-huh. I've, I've since spent my career uh, bringing a lot of people into music because I, for five years, I was a band director in Texas. In, oh, In Burleson, really? Burleson, Texas. Yeah. my My mom lives in Grand Prairie. Oh, how about that? We were probably in the yeah. same, in the same region and, and, and I'm from of... Temple. Oh, and you're from Temple. Okay. Yep. Region Whoa. eight. That's awesome. Cause my former trumpet teacher, Leonard Candelari, I
1: think lives, he lives in Temple now. His wife was my Dean whenever I was yeah. uh, Catherine Faust. There you have Catherine her. was, yeah, we were uh, colleagues whenever I was uh, on faculty at university, of Mary Hardin <laughs> Baylor. This is really getting interesting
0: because Catherine was my accompanist when I was, when I was a student of Leonard's in grad
1: school. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Leonard is hilarious. I like, I like him a lot. Oh,
0: he's, he, he's, he was an awesome mentor. I, I can lean back. I still have his picture up on my wall of my office here because he was, he was always an inspiration still is love the man. And, and Catherine was, was uh, awesome. And I know that she, uh, uh, you know, that had a great uh, career. So, isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's like we share. Funny. We share a lot. Well, you've already kind of covered what turned you on to jazz and why you had picked the trombone. So let's let's go on to another question. Uh, you know, jazz comes in a lot of different flavors. Uh, there's early jazz, trad jazz. There's swing. There's bebop, hard bop, post bop, fusion, funk, uh, uh, modal, free. Uh, you name it. Uh, and so what is really the essence of jazz across all of its various flavors? And how is jazz different from other music styles? Hmm,
1: a really good question. You know, I don't like to think about jazz as, as different, as more, as, as, I don't like to think about that it's different. Obviously, every genre has differences and like you know different like norms that's you know that I think that remains remains true. But I don't think of jazz as different. I think about it. I think about jazz as an influence. Mm-hmm. Um, jazz is the only music that's been native to America. Mm-hmm. And because of that, everything since I mean, you could argue, 1913 was the start of jazz with the original jazz band you could argue that before that Mm -hmm. I'm not here to I'm not here to like give a start date but I will say that I feel that jazz music is not different it's it's more about how it's influenced and helped other genres grow but I think I think what's different about jazz maybe in comparison to everything else is that jazz is jazz is human jazz is human in the way that it derives from West African drum circles, the swing beats, you know, the, if you want to get into like the synchronization of triplets and whatnot, you know, we can go there, but jazz is more about being a human interaction. Jazz is of the human expression. You know, I mean, there's, there's funny videos out there of like jazz robots. Right. But at at its very base, jazz is more about a, a, of a, of a human expression. And, and the reason why I believe it connects more with, or the reason why I believe jazz has connected with more people than any other genre is because it is at its most basic form, a way for humans to interact and connect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can source that back from the West African drum circles. You can source that back with a harmony that comes from European music but it once again, music at its most, I don't want to say basic, but it's most at its most fundamental um, <clears throat> at its most fundamental use, music com- is is there for socialization. it's there mm-hmm. to it's there to gather, it's there to build community. And jazz is no different than that. And jazz builds community. Mm-hmm. Jazz enhances community. Jazz also realizes new communities. and these new communities that came from jazz, is why I believe it's not that jazz is different. It's more jazz is the umbrella over everything else.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think you make an excellent point. Uh, And and I I used to get asked this question by my students when I taught jazz history and appreciation. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why should we care about jazz as a music? And I said, well, I would say, well, one of the reasons you should is because jazz is what America is. It's a Mm -hmm. melting pot. Jazz musicians throughout its history have taken anything and everything and made it into something new and different
1: mm-hmm.
0: just like we have had to kind of negotiate you know life in a country that is basically uh, uh Europe junior with a lot of immigration from all over. <laughs> Europe Junior. That's good. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I mean, it's just another way to think of it. And I and, like that. And well, and the thing that is, here's the fact the fact of the matter is as a country, yes, we were very Eurocentric, but we are becoming more and more diverse. Yes. As as we go along, which I embrace and I think is wonderful because there's all Absolutely. kinds of sounds. You know, like when I teach would teach my students that funk came out of the Latin clave mm-hmm. with Buddy Bolden's big four kind of is the intermediary and I show mm-hmm. them how it works they kind of go WTF know, they're just amazed by that or that you know that as you said you know it it is this expression that brings people together and yet it's a kind of a music that is very often, communally made. I mean, we can have a, a solo pianist, for example, sure. go up on a stage, can play for hours by themselves. However, uh, however, they're thinking about if a rhythm section was there. Exactly. Because in a sense, even though they're a solo pianist, they're really two people in one. Because they're mm-hmm. playing melody in one hand and accompaniment in the other. But mm-hmm. I, I digress. But let's put it this way. I think that in the in the old Ken Burns documentary, I think uh, Wynton Marcellus, when one of the things he talked about, he said it best. He says, you know, jazz is different because I could go into a bar at 2 a.m. And I could say to the other musicians in that that were on stage, hey, you want to play some blues? And all I got to do is play and add a. He didn't use these words, but it's what it was. Play some kind of antecedent phrase. Mm-hmm. And the other musicians would play something back. In mm-hmm. other words, it's like, like you said, it's communication, it's community. It's it's a uh, communal way of of creating something. But and, you see, I, I'm sorry, no, no, finish. I, I well, have something after Okay, that. okay. Well, anyway, and I was going to say it's communally made music and it's not a performing art. It's a performance art. The yes. art is being created in the
1: moment. Mm-hmm. But go ahead so, with what you're going to say. Well, so I was going to say... All music is an antecedent uh, uh, start and and compliment, yeah, you know, sure. or I should say complimenting one another. You know, you, you look at, well, let's take it all the way back. You know, we, we I don't like this term, but most people will only really connect with this term unless they're unless they know early jazz, but Dixieland. Right. right. So like Dixieland jazz. You hear a growl. Somebody else growls. You hear a scoop. Somebody else has a response to that. The same thing can happen with Aerosmith. The same thing happened sure. with Maceo Parker. The same thing happens with um, NWA, the rap group. The same thing happens in everything. And that's, you know, you can source that back. I'm sure you can make the argument like, well, you know, Prokofiev or WC does that too. Yeah, that's fine and all. Yeah. But like, that's not an American music. An American mm-hmm. music, like that's not a music that came out of the, of this country. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's a reason why and no disrespect but there's a reason why European jazz music and, and other jazz music, not in America, have a slight, have a slightly different feel because mm-hmm. it's not the authenticity that, that we have here because it came out of here. Right.
0: Right. Right. But I will, in defense of our European brothers, I will say they are excellent students. Amazing. Because I Amazing. have heard, I've, you know, I've been listening to European groups, uh, as they have developed and, uh, there's a new recording out, um, let's see, with Manhattan Transfer, and I think it's the WDR
1: big band. WDR is the biggest exception in the world. They are okay. some of the best musicians ever.
0: But, uh, and I, I when I heard about it, I listened to it. And it's just, you know, just awesome, you know, kind of playing. And I, the more European players I listen to, I say, you know, they've got big ears. And they do. They, they, they've got a lot. But, you know, it is, it is, uh you know uh it's sort of like uh like uh what bill murray said in the movie stripes we're americans we're different we're mongrels because you know? <laughs> we're a mixture you know we're yeah, all a mixture yeah, yeah. i mean like you're part turkish part mexican i'm part english part swedish i mean okay wow, that's yeah. not maybe as big a difference but you know oh, what i mean
1: yeah.
0: uh and and we have all of these we have this huge melting pot of cultures and uh and uh People and and it really creates this unique and different hybrid of culture, that is very unique and I think sometimes envied and then copied by people outside the United States. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, uh, so you know it's still you know it's still great. I still always like to go back to the Art Blakey quote though, that jazz is that what washes away the dust of life. Yep. And, and, and how that and that human human element uh, that's in the music and how and, and how it's there. But well, I think this also then leads right into another question as maybe this we've already answered it. But it's that idea that you know, jazz has been around for over a, a century. And even though it may not be central to American popular music today, it still exists and lives. And I think in a sense, you've already answered this, but let's see if you have anything to add. Why and how has jazz been able to sustain
1: itself over the last century? So I was reading this question last night um, and it's funny. Uh, So as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm touring with Michael Buble right now. And Michael, I think a lot of people know him for like the Christmas stuff and, you know, like some other things, but Michael's one of the hippest musicians on this planet. He, uh, he, he really knows the music of of jazz, but the American Songbook, and he's very well studied. And it's it's obvious um, in the set. We do a couple of standards, of course, as well as as well as his originals. Uh, but we do this one standard at least on this run right now, and uh, it's Smile. You know, mm-hmm. you know I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that tune. But, oh yeah, yeah, it was written by Charlie Chaplin. Yep. And so he uh, he does this duo with a with our pianist who's amazing, Roy Dunlap, a Los Angeles-based musician, formerly from New York. Um, And Michael kind of gives a speech before he play, or he gives a speech before he plays it, and he talks about the same thing, like the same thing in this question, uh, um, or the same kind of uh, nuance behind this question. Whenever he does. Interviews, people ask him like, "Why do you like playing the old music?" And uh, doesn't like really, you know, like why? Like, like why is that your thing? You know, it's not new per se, but he has he has a wonderful response, and uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, "The Great American Songbook has the fattest beats, the most relatable lyrics, and it's timeless because of how it relates to each and every single era." that it's been in of his it, that it has been of his of its existence right mm-hmm. and i you know it it it's taken me a couple of weeks to like let that um like marinate and for me to like comprehend but now i feel like i have a better comprehension of it and i think what he's saying is that the the great american songbook is responsible for every genre that you hear today mhm whether it be nuance in lyrics whether it be certain styles of, 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 uh, of, of feel, if you will. The great American songbook, I think is called the great American songbook because it encapsulates or does a pretty good job of encapsulating the many different expressions of humans in America, which is once again, what jazz is native to humans mm-hmm, in America, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. I should say America by way of uh, West Africa. Right. Sure. So so, to like answer the question though, really clearly, I think it sustained itself because once again, jazz is the is the most human thing out here in America that has been started here. the The expression of human to human uh, without words, n- n- that's not to discount, you know our our great vocalists of our time. But, you know, the without words conversation is is a specialty to jazz. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's a, it's sustained itself is because, it's human to human. There's no other interaction like it and right. because it's so special and nuanced. And uh, I think the way that Michael explains it as well as some of the things that I've been adding on here mm-hmm. is, is an appropriate response to how it's sustained itself, you know, human to human at the end well, of the day.
0: I think you made a comment earlier that I, I had not thought of before that really hits the nail on the head, how jazz builds a community mm-hmm. because we're, jazz is a very accepting art form. I mean, you know, you think it's like you go back to that earlier question about so many different flavors of jazz. Why? Well, because jazz embraces all other musics,
1: Mm -hmm. whether it's
0: hip hop or rap or or, you know, uh, R&B, soul, whatever, you you know, uh, all those various labels that one could could, uh, you know, articulate, I mean you know, for crying out loud. I mean, even Sonny Rollins recorded, you know, you're an old, co- co- uh, you're an old cow hand, you know, yep, uh, yep. and turned it into something completely different. So I think that that's probably great. I also have to tell you, I envy the fact that you're getting to play Michael Buble's charts every night. <laughs> I've played a few of those charts because some of the local yep. big bands that I play and have, have some of his charts. What an awesome, uh, what awesome arrangements of it's an standards. Honor. I mean, I it's an honor you, every well, every night. I would tell you, I mean, I love and this is what I love about really creative people, how they can take a song that's been around fifty, sixty, seventy years and mm-hmm. rearrange it and make it sound like something completely different. Um, there's a trombonist out of Philadelphia I interviewed oh, a couple of months ago, Haley Brunell, who uh
1: haley uh, yeah she's oh great. you know haley
0: yeah and oh yeah. she uh she and i talked about that whole idea about her approach to standards and uh because she's also a singer as well as a trombonist mm-hmm. and uh and aubrey logan's another trombonist slash singer that i've interviewed i and, love aubrey oh yeah what's not to love about her i mean yeah <laughs> we played
1: together a little bit in austin because she loves oh. her now
0: Oh yeah cool that's yeah. right she whenever, whenever i used to live there sure yeah. sure sure but you know to 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 uh, you know and i i remember always I, all often to would tell students i said jazz is one of those kinds of music that's firmly rooted in the past we maybe have our feet uh-huh. in the past because we play older tunes that have been around for a long, long time. But there's also a tradition in jazz that we reach for the future by taking that older tune and creating something brand new with it, either uh-huh. through the arrangement or the improvisations or, you know, I mean, you know, when you're talking to a class, a class full of lay people trying to you know, really sell them on the idea of why they, they should dig jazz, you know, when they've had little or no exposure to it. So. I
1: you think, know, what's yeah. funny. I have a former professor. He's now the director of jazz studies at university of Texas, but he was at Michigan state, Diego Rivera, one of the most sure. amazing tenor players right now. He, uh, he's on the positive record label actually, and a phenomenal educator. He does this exercise where he plays 10 recordings, completely different recordings And at the end of it, he's like, okay, everybody put it into like whatever era you think it is. All those 10 recordings are from the same year. (laughs)
0: That's a great one. That's a great one. That's how hip this music is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, see, we're preaching. We're preaching to the choir here. Both of us.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: We love we love the music. Well, let's kind of take uh, a different uh, uh, kind of slant on things as a professional Uh, What are the major challenges of being a jazz artist in the 21st century?
1: Mm. Yeah, there, I don't know if it's challenges. I I don't know if it's the challenge part of it. Because the challenge is meaning like, it's hard to do something. I think it's more about, I think it's more about the accessibility and choices that we make. Okay. I'm not that much, I'm not that much older than like the current generation. I'm, I'm 28. Um, Mm -hmm. but I grew up in school where like, I didn't really know how to use YouTube until I was probably 20. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew about YouTube and I know you could look up stupid videos, of course. Um, but I didn't know like how to get information online per se. I knew though, that at my library that they had J.J., at at the library with CDs and whatnot. And, you know, there's a generation though that even CDs are pretty advanced uh, in comparison to what they grew up with. You know, for example, I I was always told like, see like you cats have the skip button. You can just skip ahead to the next thing. Whenever I was growing up, we just listened to one side of a record full on and then the next side. Mm -hmm. And that was it, you know, that, that was as advanced as it was. So all that to be said, I don't think it's about the challenge of being a jazz musician. I think it's about how much accessibility we have to certain things. And that's okay. not to like make this music exclusive because that's not the point of the music. But I think I think not having the option to skip ahead or not having the option to just like cut out a minute and 30 seconds from a YouTube clip and just learn that. Like it's beautiful to learn the intro. It's beautiful to learn the outro. It's beautiful to learn the, uh, the interlude between solos. And I think because we have so much power now with technology, we kind of lose that uh, essence of of a complete listening experience. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think we have so many choices now. Like for example, um, there's I think there's kind of a notion nowadays of like, oh well, I just want to swing. That's it. I don't want to do anything else. And it's like that's cool. But the the thing is, is like. You know, I've had the opportunity to study with some really amazing people, uh, such as Andre Hayward, Michael Dees, Freddie Mendoza, um, Rodney Whitaker, people of that caliber. And the thing is, they still played gigs that weren't swinging. Mm -hmm. You know, they still played gigs. They still played a wedding. They still played Mm -hmm. somebody's, you know, frat party. But see, like that experience enhances the next reward. And I think being able to like negate that option now, like on purpose, that's a problem. And I think that's really more the challenge that we face now is like, we have too much control of like circumstance, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you, I learned September. I learned that before I learned stable mates, not because I wanted to, but because I, was what was paying my bills at the time sure sure and you know we have i think we have the because we have so much accessibility like we have the opportunity to become even more elite within like our own mind Mm -hmm. and like and like our actions and i don't think that's a part of the experience that that was presented to everybody else like obviously in the in the early days of jazz such as well you can make the nicholas payton argument that jazz was dead and this but I'm not going there because yeah. I'm, that's not me, but you know, in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, that was the pop music, you know, mm-hmm. that was the pop music. So of course you get that accessibility. That is not the pop music of 1980. That is not the pop music of 1990, t- 2000, or even 2010. <clears throat> so with all that to be said, the accessibility factor I think is a challenge because it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's amazing. You can check out mm-hmm. anything basically but also now you kind of have the option to, to grow into, I I don't, I hate using this, but it is what it is. And and I'm, I'm a pretty candid person. Like now you have the option to become a snob, even whenever that's not what you should be at that time or that Mm -hmm. point in your life. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's cool to play wedding bands. You have to learn Mm -hmm. how to function in that because it makes you appreciate gigs like, well, for me playing in Michael blue, blue blaze band every night. And, playing with some of the best players in the world. Mm-hmm. I still remember playing $50 gigs and, you know, some people are like, well, I'm above that. And most, and those people are are correct. They probably are. But for me, like playing the $50 gig kind of keeps it in check for me sometimes, you know, keeps it you in know, check.
0: I, you and I are very much in the same mindset. I, you know, I will tell my, you know, I would tell students of mine that we're maybe uh, aspiring to become professionals. And I have to remind them that we live in Wisconsin and that money that you get paid for playing a polka gig is just as green as the money you'll make playing a jazz gig. Mm -hmm. And I love polka gigs (laughs) because, because the music's fun to play. Number one, it's It's always, it's happy. It is especially the roadmaps. Oh my. Sometimes the roadmaps are just, bizarre but anyway but and it's happy upbeat fun celebratory danceable music you know mm-hmm. i once had a student of mine in my class uh my jazz history class who had been a professional polka musician for like 25 years and wow. what he did was he made up his mind that when his youngest child finally finished uh high school he was going to go back to college get a degree so he could become a, a band director so right. he was in my class. He was an adult student. And the day after I had just lectured on the blues, he came up after class and he says to me, Dr. Hurst, he says, there, there are no uh, sad polka songs. Polka songs are yeah. all about drinking and dancing and having a good time. So I was kind of yanking his chain. And I said, well, Dan, then it's our duty to write one. And I said, something mm-hmm. with the refrain of, "Darlin', when you left me, you left me one sauerkraut. Ah, uh, so you ah. know what this guy did? He went and wrote a tune using that as the refrain. He got it copywritten and attributed it to me. I've got the copyright hanging on my wall in my office at campus. And uh, and then he got a group of students together to perform it at the last concert of, of the uh, of the of the school year and it was really kind of kind of funny you know but uh you know you don't turn down stuff Mm -mm. i am in a unique situation now that i'm semi-retired with my eight-piece group i don't play anything except jazz gigs in jazz that's great you know because i have that luxury i don't have to worry about playing to make a living because i'm you know so with that particular group but with my other groups i mean i spent 10 weeks this summer we played played on a jazz night at a beer garden you know that's amazing and and that was fine it was it was a lot of fun and that was you know mostly what i tell my side men anyway we better have fun because we're not going to get rich Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah uh, but i think you're absolutely right when you talk about accessibility and technology And, you know, nowadays people will bring up something on a streaming service, they'll listen to the one or two songs they like, and they don't necessarily listen to anything else. I remember when I was in high school, my friends and I would ride our bikes down to the local uh, store, and we'd buy a new recording on eight-track tape, Sure. take it back to my place, and we'd sit in my bedroom and listen to it. Together, mm-hmm. there was that communal listening. But now, with the technology we have, we seem to have kind of lost that. uh You know, or back in the days when we had albums, you know, you'd lay on the floor of your bedroom and you'd you'd look at the album art and you'd read the liner notes as you're listening the to notes. the to the whole yeah. thing. You know, and that's that's kind of a different sort of of
1: thing. Well, well and, let's, and anyway, go and, ahead. I, I want I wanted to add one thing. Sure, that's not me. This this is not me being a snob because I'm guilty of you know utilizing the new technology as well like i have done my fair share of skipping songs sure however you know i'm and 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 people that know me i'm very easy to admit my mistake like if somebody's like are you sure i'm like you know what i'm full of it Mm -hmm. uh but you know it's it's also a reminder for myself to keep that in mind because i remember my very first transcription that i did it was j and k on it's all right with me and mm-hmm. uh, people were like, well, why don't you just slow it down on YouTube? I was like, I don't know how to do that. And they showed me it. And I didn't like it because it's like, I don't grasp the same nuance, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't grasp the, cause I, the reason why I can still sing this break is because I learned it on by ear cor- correctly, if you will. And it's like, but the reason why i like know that is because i listen to it in real time yeah and, and you know now yeah i'll slow things down if i need to i mean i'm not above well, it but i have years of not doing that sure you know well so and anyways, thing, i just want to no, clear I, that I think that
0: makes an excellent great point about something because see there's also it isn't just the destination there's the journey. Yeah. Of and course. sometimes the challenge of the journey is where you get your satisfaction. Yep. You know, I, I, I remember once, uh, hearing a, a sermon by a pastor who said that the key to happiness is overcoming your challenges. And and so if you don't have any challenges because you always take the easy way out, where where's your uh, happiness that you're going to get from overcoming that challenge? Where's the gratitude? Exactly. Or So I think you make a great a great point. Well, let's talk about your your uh, writing. Uh, yeah. When you write an original piece, do you typically start with a melodic idea, a rhythmic idea or a particular set of chord changes? Or do you imagine a, a, a melody or something based on any particular words or lyrics or a
1: particular moat? Tell us about how mm. you what how, your inspiration and how it works. Well, this is this is this is uh, perfect timing because I'm getting to record another record next year uh, or in the coming months rather because we're already at the end of October. Um, I so I just wrote a new tune. I wrote. I have two dogs. Two big dogs i have a great Dang lab mix and then a pit bull i love big dogs um and that can be a whole other podcast for me but um (laughs) well you and i
0: would you and i would diverge there because see i'm the other uh, way my my my, my little cat no i'm a dog guy but i like little dogs Uh, see my i like the i like my nice my little shih tzu
1: who fits right (laughs) here in my forearm and i can my dog My kit, whenever I got her, she fitted right here all on my oh, yeah. arm. Now she's 65 pounds. But. Yeah, yeah. We'll see My <laughs> she's seven
0: is less than eight pounds and has been since oh. the day we brought her home. But anyway, nice. you're right.
1: Let's don't get started on dogs. Uh, we'll be here all day. So so for me, this, let me back up a little bit. This, uh, So composition for me comes out of two things. Number one, it's the melody first. But number two, I actually hold rhythm and feel just as high in that regard, because if it doesn't feel good, it's not going to sound good. I'm sorry, but and mm-hmm. I'm sure people can point me in the direction of like, well, have you heard this? And, this? and it's like, that's great, but not for me. Um, you know, I, uh, my very first professional engagement or professional, I was uh, 13, 14 and my mom had a coworker whose husband, I know it's like a long way to keep in track, but, that co-worker's husband owned a salsa band. And um, this was out in Colleen in Fort Hood. And if you're mm-hmm. not familiar with Fort Hood, which I know you are, um, but for those of you that are not, Fort Hood is the largest army base in the world. And a lot of Puerto Ricans who decide to um, go, i it's not amnesty, but I guess citizenship rather, um, they g- normally go through Fort Hood. That's where they're stationed uh, for for Puerto Rican um, uh for Puerto Rican descent, uh, individuals that come out. And so because of that, at one point in time, Colleen and Fort Hood had a pop and salsa scene. It was amazing. It was, it was as authentic as you could get without mm-hmm. flying to the island itself. And so I started playing salsa music whenever I was about 13 or 14 and the trombone and salsa music is that is the instrument there's, I mean, yeah, trumpet saxophone, that's cool, but it ain't trombone, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, there's a reason why Hector Lavoe. There's a reason why. (laughs) There's a reason why uh, uh, my man who recorded Edilio. uh, There's a reason why all of these trombonists have a huge name. Oscar De Leon, his first band, uh, uh, Rhythm Di Partido, I believe, is the name. He used five trombones. He didn't Mm -hmm. use. Mm -hmm. You know, he used five trombones. So Mm -hmm. the trombone is 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 where it's at. Willie Colon. uh, That's who I was thinking of. Sorry. barry rogers and so for me the trombone was like oh man like this is like my time to shine and, you know you get to like play past your pretty sound and symphonic band and you know, it was cool you know i got to really rage out if you will but salsa so music gave me a deeper appreciation for clave and clave is uh as a clave is 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 a rhythmic pattern for for uh for an academic term but clave is Basically, the heartbeats of of many Afro Latin Afro Caribbean um, music. Mm-hmm. It's and the so key. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. And as Jelly Roll Morton said, every bit of music has a little bit of the Latin tinge, mm-hmm. you know. And so for me, Latin music, which makes sense now because of my Latin descent, um, really connected with with my uh, with my with my musical spirit and you know my spirit as a human. So, whenever I write music. I actually hear in clave much more than I do in swing. And that's not to negate my experience mm-hmm. with bebop and swing because it's it's an obvious um, influence in my music. But um, I write from a standpoint of melody and rhythm uh, for sure. Harmony is not far behind, uh, but mm-hmm. those two things, they really resonate with me. And, and, and I just wrote a tune And uh, I just wrote a tune. It's called Lullaby for Paw. Paw is like the nickname of my young dog, uh, whose name is JJ. And, uh, (laughs) and he, uh, it's a tune that my, my grandma used to like sing to me whenever I she was like trying to put me down for a nap. I I was a difficult child. And, uh, and so, you know, whenever she would put me down for a nap, she would sing me this melody, um, Or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And and you know, in musical terms, it's just an octave to a to the major to the major six. C C A natural, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so whenever I first read that, I was like, oh, this would be a great ballad. Pause. This would actually be a really great cha cha or bolero or even tango. Mm-hmm. And that's like where my mind goes. Um, I love playing classics like Body and Soul, Stardust and Nearness of You and Polka Dots and Moonbeams. But there's something to be said for being able to play a ballad with, with a tango or cha-cha or bolero. And so I did that on my last album, Reconnected, with Tenderly. Because Tenderly has actually played a lot, and which I did not know. I was kind of doing some like pseudo musicology homework, if you will. Um, I'm not a researcher by any means. But whenever I was doing like a little deep dive on Tenderly, it's actually played a lot in the Latin American countries. Mm-hmm. um and so i decided to put tenderly as a i guess i did it as a bolero because i put it in four as opposed to three and uh so for me i've kind of decided to go down that route with as far as ballads are concerned but with any other music you know i i address the melody first and okay. then you know i I decide on the uh i decide on the um the style from there mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that's wow. that's kind of like my okay. my track
0: well, that's that's it's interesting to 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 uh, to think about it that way, and and about uh, you know I've had others, uh, maybe it was even Zach Adelman when I was interviewing him recently, and he talked about groove and how mm-hmm. important groove was to to a piece of music that he would write, and and uh, and I agree. I mean, you you think about jazz, I mean, uh, or Latin music, what makes it feel good? Well, it's the groove. You know, mm-hmm. and I think about this, like on Saturdays, I go to an exercise class mm-hmm. at the local health club, and they also have a Zumba class, which starts not long uh-huh. after ours does. <laughs> and of course we always live they have got the music on and it's all uh-huh. Latin music. And it's so I'm listening to it one day and i am and I'm and I'm trying to explain what, what some of the the characteristics are to some of the other people in my, my class. And I say, you know, Latin music is really interesting. It's very rhythmic, but there isn't a strong one like there is in, in other kinds, you know, of music. And, and uh, but it's, uh, you're right. It's that rhythmic element that I think is really cool. Well, let's kind of uh, move on a little bit to some other kind of more pragmatic things in your education experience. What mm-hmm. advice do you give to your students or, or younger people who maybe come to you for advice, uh, who are aspiring toward a career in music?
1: I, I've i had the pleasure of teaching some really fantastic students. Uh, I've been teaching privately for about uh, eight years, maybe seven actually, but at the higher education level, I was an adjunct professor for three years. And through that, I taught some really fantastic high schoolers that I recruited and and through that, there's, there's three major things that I, that I try to in, not enforce. No, no, I do try to, I do try to enforce them because it's, it's important to have discipline, especially if you want to do this as a career. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's three things. I, I really, really, really harp on this with my students. You have to have a routine. Mm-hmm. You have to have – it's not even a warm-up routine, although that's a big thing for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm actually doing, doing a book on that right now, but you have to have some kind of normalcy. Yes. Music is sporadic. Yes. It's improvisatory. Yes. You can do different things and accomplish the same goal. However, if you're going to do music, you, and this is just my opinion. This is not me like trying to alpha alpha my way into the conversation, but If you're going to do music, you have to have some kind of muscle memory every day. So for me, I've been doing this for like seven years, and my Chris makes fun of me for this all the time, but it is what it is. Um, If you haven't noticed, Chris and I have a very close relationship. He was the best man at my wedding. Okay. Um, You know, so every morning, this is not a joke. Every morning, I drink 32 to 44 ounces of water before anything else. Okay. And then I drink my coffee and then I eat. Right. That is before I do anything every single day. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm centered after that. I drink my water. Um, I have to use the restroom excessively now. (laughs) But 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 then I'm ready to go for the day and I'm good until like 3 a.m. Like I can Mm -hmm. do whatever I need to do. But if I don't do that every day, that day is going to suck because I've tried it. I've tried. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's number one, having a routine, no matter if it's musical or not number 2 it is okay to just suck for a couple of years there's nothing wrong with sucking there's there's something wrong if you continue to do that after studying and like actually putting your full full on attention but most of the time you will make progress if you are really dedicated mm-hmm. but you have to be okay with sucking and i say that to myself now as yep. well cuz like some days i'm just like man why am I playing trombone? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, it is what it is. Um, Sure. Balance. And then lastly, the other thing is I try to make sure that my, at least with my students, that I give them everything that I can answer for them or help them out in some kind of way, because at the end of the day, the most fundamental action of being a musician is having some kind of um, credibility. So that means emailing on time. That means knowing how to write an email. That means knowing how to respond to people. That means dealing with conflict, which people have to deal with. And we're not, you know, we have kind of some conflicts in school, but it's not the same thing as being on the gig and having conflict. Right. Um, You know, because now money's involved. Not to say that money isn't involved with school, but there's steps for that. There's not always a cut and dry way to do it on the gig. Um. You know, getting fired and firing somebody is not fun. No. Uh, it's, it's the worst uh, or next to the worst. But so with all that being said, I, I try to give my students as many answers as I can. And not all of my answers are correct, but at least they know that I'm coming from a spot of authenticity to at least give them as much as I can. So that way they have some kind of foundation to like go out of this world. But once again, those three things are having a routine having humility and giving them as much information as possible. So that way they can move on and hopefully get better information, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, mentorship. That's, that's the biggest thing. Sure. You have to have a mentor. If you don't no, you're screwed.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, coming from the other side of it, I cannot be around a younger person without mentoring them. It's just in my yeah. blood. And I have younger people who play in my groups, you know, college yeah. age students and and people who are out of college but younger. And I, you know, and I tell them, I said, I have to warn you that I will mentor you and I might even try to adopt you. I have a great <laughs> kid, great kid, name is Cam Span. He just he's at in his freshman year at Berkeley. And great. we we keep up on Facebook and I I, the very first time I ever played with Cam, he subbed one of my groups last summer. And I said, Cam, can I just adopt you? You're just an awesome drummer. <laughs> and he's an awesome kid. And I love keeping up with him and giving him encouragement and, and so forth via Facebook. It's just one of those things I can't let go of because I've been what? an educator all my life and, and, and mentoring people. But the other thing I, I hear you say is so true. Now, you're, you know, being from Texas. I don't know if you're a baseball fan or not, but you probably know the name Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan of was one of the awesomest pitchers that pitched, you know, I mean, he, he threw in his career, seven shutouts, yep. complete shutouts, no hits, no runs. And he had a routine. He had the same routine for before he pitched. And then especially for what he did after he pitched, you know, he mm-hmm. would go in, he'd ride a bike an exercise bike for, I think, 30 minutes or something after every game, whether he won, you know, won or lost. And so that idea of consistency and routine is very important. And also, I think when you address the ad, the, the adage, you have to accept sucking. That's just a matter of having some humility and realizing that you're not God's gift to the musical world. and <laughs> that, and, that and, and sometimes we know people, I'm sure you know people, I do, who think they are, but the point is, is that sometimes, you know, lives last longer than talent, and then they run into problems. And you have to really accept who you are, where you are, and know that, okay, I'm not perfect, I'm not great, but I can still
1: work on it. Yeah, but I, I think it's important, though, to, to, what's the, you know, I I'm a very, like, extreme kind of person. And I think it's okay at one point to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the thing right now. It's like, well, you're not, but you, you have to go through that. I mean, you do have to go through that. Cause you know, I, I've gone through that plenty, even, you know, in recent years, but there's nothing wrong with getting, I, 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 I use this term sparingly, but I think every decade you need a little bit of a kick in the pants. I, I really do. I agree hundred percent, whether it be mental and, you know, God forbid physical, but Some something to just humble you. And I've had both in my, in my short span of 28 years.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I hear you because I think that, you know, when you get humbled, you get to work. Yep. And I think that's important. Well, I learned more from
1: losing competitions than I learned from winning.
0: Well, you know, and the thing of it is in the musical world, I don't care who you are. Every time you turn around, you're going to find somebody somewhere who still Mm -hmm. does it better than you. Mm -hmm. and you always have people to learn from but anyway i'm gonna begin to wrap things up because we've been at this for a while and it's been fun but i know you both have places we need to go but um i I know you're not in new york so i'm not going to ask where i can come see you play in new york but you're on (laughs) tour
1: you're on tour. how much longer are you on tour well um we're just wrapping up our eighth week at it uh i was in the uk for a month between june and july then i did a two-week stint and then we're finishing our last of the U S Canada tour. And then I fly out to South America on November 1st and mm. I come back, uh, on the 18th and of November. And then I fly back out to Australia on December 1st. Mm. And, uh, and then next year, there's going to be a lot more opportunity to be for me to actually, uh, play in New York now okay. that I live there. But, right. uh, as of now, I'm, this is this is really important. Uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to take rest as well because sure. You know, if you're playing four nights a week, you're playing a two hour set straight, it wears on you. I I I play trombone too in the band, but I'm in a register where I'm in the mid-register all the time. So I'm using a lot of air and fast air at times. So sure. you have to really like take care of, of yourself physically. You okay. know? Well, but sure you do. I'm yeah, but you know, I am I'm planning some stuff out uh, touring wise for my own stuff next year, whenever our tour kind of calms down after May, but um, I'm recording another record next year and, and I'm actually writing a book right now. So I'll, I'll be doing, I'll be doing some stuff like that. Wonderful.
0: Wonderful. And uh, the you've already told us a little bit about the new recording. Is this going to be uh, a solo record with just you and a rhythm section, or is it going to be another uh,
1: uh, with uh, Chris or what have you got? In oh mind? yeah. So there's, I like I like backloading things. So uh, the the first thing that's coming out is the collective that I was a part of, uh, something blue on Positone records. Something blue. Jan- okay. Yep, that's coming out in January, and then I'm recording a solo record um, after that for Positone, I believe. And then Chris and I are actually uh, in the on the planning stages right now for our next album, uh, the follow up to Realization. So we're gonna be, and we're gonna be touring, doing that. So there's a there's about three albums next year that are coming out or being recorded, and then along cool. with my book that I'm writing. Cool. What uh, What's your book going to be about? So my book is called "Connecting the Dots," and okay. it's it's a it's a found, it's a foundational warm up guide for mm-hmm. a versatile trombonist career. Because if you think you're going to be playing one genre for the rest of your life, that's hilarious. Yeah, that is hilarious. <laughs> So <laughs> it's, it's a book of, of my warm-up that I've been doing for the past seven years. Uh-huh. And uh, I've used it on students and colleagues and it's, it's a collection of my former weaknesses. Okay. And that's, that's the book. And I, and it's interactive because it's going to have QR codes and it's it's going to have like video demonstrations of me and Andre Hayward playing through the exercises as Perfect. well as um, great. You interviewed him earlier. Um, but one of my biggest inspirations as a musician and amazing human being and mentor and somebody who I've just really grown to love and I'm so appreciative of his hand in my career, uh, Michael Dees. He's writing the foreword for it. He's had a a great talk with Michael. I know he's, he's one of, you know, he's one of my favorite people on this planet and I'm so gracious to be able to be involved in his life with, with as much as I am. I mean, I know his kids, his wife, Gwen, just, Beautiful and, and I'm really grateful to have, once again, I, I didn't talk about it a lot in the beginning, but I, I wanted to put this out there, you know, like, I talked, and I know we're wrapping up, but I just, I got to say these things. I talked about mentorship a couple of minutes ago, but I've had some really great mentors in my life, such as Freddie Mendoza, Andre Hayward, Rodney Whitaker, um, Randy Napoleon, Diego Rivera, um, and a lot of the Michigan State faculty and the University of Texas faculty, Jeff Helmer, um and Martin McCain from Texas State, but Michael Dees for me has been a source of inspiration since I first heard him whenever I was 18. And so I established a relationship with him. And I'm it's the best decision I one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, next to marrying my wife. Um, you know, he's just been such a great human being to mm-hmm. for me to bounce ideas off of, learn from, and be mentored. And I I still consider him my mentor. Um, I still check in, like, hey, prof D's, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And, and I just had a visit with him the other week, whenever I was in Detroit on, on the gig and, you know, I, I don't get to say it enough, but, uh, especially on like interviews like this, cause it's normally about me, but it's important. And I also want this for students to hear, like, you need three mentors in your life at all times. And he has been one for me for the better part of at least five years, but indirectly 10 years. Yeah. I hear you. So I you hear know, you. Those yeah, mentors are important. Out.
0: Well, I think uh, Michael is certainly deserving because I know in my discussion with him or my interview with him, he certainly has a lot to
1: offer students. And uh, and I think that's, is, that's fantastic. He is a big part of why there's so many Michigan State people on this gig right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. For three well, quarters of the trombone section is Michigan State alum. Wow.
0: Wow. wow. And and all this time, you guys have just been on the other side of Lake Michigan from me, and I didn't even uh, know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, listen, Alton, thank you for taking time to talk with me today. I, uh, it's been awesome. And I want to wish you all the best with what I'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future. Thank you. Here's to hoping.
1: Here's to humbling. Here's to hoping and humbling.
0: Well, there you have it. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks,
1: Craig. You bet. My
0: discovery composer of the week is Ukrainian composer, Alfred Momotenko. Momotenko was born in Lviv, Ukraine in 1970. He came from a family of professional artists. His mother was an actress and his father was a choir conductor. He started his musical career as a xylophone player at a young age at Sochi College of Arts. Later, he went to study at Moscow State University of Culture and Arts and after it at the Brabant Conservatory and the Royal Conservatory in The Hague. At the same time, he started to write music for his own use. After graduating as a musician, he continued his study as a composer under the guidance of Professor Alexander Harrisoned, Professor Willem Jess, and Professor Maino Remmers. Momunteko also took many seminars from the professor composers Roderick Diman, Bob Becker, and Vinko Globacar. In 2008, he graduated with distinction for Master of Music degree at Fontis Conservatorium and Sonology Sound Design at the Royal Conservatory at The Hague. Momotenko's timeless choral works continue the centuries-old great tradition of choral works, combining them with contemporary language a blend most recently exemplified by the likes of Alfred Schnittke. Many of his enigmatic choral works are religious and could be described as poems or chants, larger than a miniature but less extensive than a fantasy, a narrative, a ballad, or a story. Often there are two contrasting musical languages that are present, the ancient, pristine Zam Enenyi chant and the modern one. Besides liturgic texts, Momentenko's choral works include settings to poems by Boris Pasternak and Joseph Brodsky. Momentenko's debut recording, Alfred Momentenko. Creator of Angels, was released in 2022 and performed by the Latvian Radio Choir under the direction of Sigvard Sklava. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of the premiere of Momotenko's Madame en Noir, performed by the Rotterdam Philharmonic Orchestra under the direction of Valery Gergiev. Well, that wraps episode one hundred fifteen. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I will be interviewing Berkeley, California-based jazz pianist, band leader, and composer. Myra Melford. As a professor of composition and veteran jazz composer and performer, Myra brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the table. We have a wonderful discussion about music. Other upcoming interviews include Canadian singer-songwriter Julian Taylor, jazz vocalist and featured singer with the Birdland big band, Nicole Zaratas, New York City bass trombonist Nick Vianis and bass trombone phenom Chris Glassman. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at hurstc at uwm.edu. So, until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog, signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.